All right, we're continuing on a series that started last week. And as I shared before, it was basically a situation where a bird had gone down the, um, the, 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 the cap. It's supposed to be a cap on the pipe from our wood-burning stove coming up through the roof. Um, unfortunately, it probably thought it was nesting. It got in there, got stuck, and unfortunately, it was trapped. So um, as I was out doing yard work later on, mowing the lawn, um, the Lord distinctly gave me Galatians 5.1 and brought back to my remembrance the situation with the bird and used that as a means of speaking to my heart and now me and to your hearts on how we need to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty that God gave us. So our text scripture is Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you the praise, honor, and glory uh, for the opportunity, Lord, to study your word again. And we ask you, Father, to speak into our hearts, Lord, that your word would root itself down deeply in our minds, in our hearts, and our spirits, that will also uh, uproot anything that's contrary to your word, that it would enable us to walk in freedom if there's any bondages, strongholds, any wounds that we have not recovered from, Father, anything in our minds, our spirits, our attitudes, our perceptions that's not healed. We thank you, Father, that your word and your spirit would return us to wholeness that we would be able to complete the call that you have upon our lives and once again walk in the liberty that you ordained for us. And we just give you the praise, the honor, honor and glory for these things, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Stand fast. That phrase is not just a simple thing. It doesn't mean jump out of your seat quickly to stand fast. It means no, whether you're sitting or you're standing, that you hold firmly enthusiastically and vehemently onto the things that God has given you. He's given you freedom in Christ. Amen. Um, one of the things he, he said in the scriptures that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So therefore, with us becoming joint heirs with Jesus Christ and becoming sons of the king of the universe. Amen. Father God, that we're not called to be walking around with any form of shackles on us, whether it's physical, emotional, attitudinal, whether it's due to the deceptions of sin or whether it's due to temptations that are pulled upon us um, from the pride of life, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. None of these things could, should be holding us captive as saints of God. And he's telling us here, don't just sit back and be passive as the enemy tries to ensnare you or to imprison you. You need to fight. Amen to stay liberated in Jesus Christ, realizing that every day as you walk around, there's different things that try to get their hooks in you, different things that try to deceive you, lead you astray, get you into some form of uh, manipulation and control. You have to be careful about that. You also have to be careful that these things, in some cases, can come from spiritual influences that try to intimidate, hinder, or control you. Sometimes they come through people that are in your life, friends and family and co-workers. Sometimes they come through experiences that you endure, and then sometimes it's of your own thinking that you're bound. Matter of fact, some of the greatest ways of people being limited are in their own thoughts, what they think of self. Amen? 
So God tells us to stand fast. He gave you liberty. He wants you to now walk in it. And if you've never encountered it before, he wants you to get to the place where you begin to free yourself and walk in that liberty that he ordained. Now, I talked about standing fast. The next phrase that was very important, it says, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The phrase entangled again with means to be caught up in an oscillatory or repeated pattern of ensnarement, grudges, etc. Once again, caught up in an oscillatory or repeated pattern of ensnarement, grudges, etc. Uh, if you think about an oscillator, have you ever seen some kind of device that measures amplitude or vital signs? You'll see like some kind of wave pattern that goes up and down. Well, God's telling us here, don't let your life be one in which you're going through repeated cycles where you're freed, back in bondage, free, back in bondage. No, get free of bondage and stay now on a flat line of walking in freedom. Then it talks about a coupling. Amen. The yoke of bondage. Don't be coupled with things that limit you, keep you under control, subjection, whether it's mental or emotional, whatever. Don't allow yourself to be weighed down or obligated to things that, that hinder you. And as we know with trains that are coupled together where the engine pulls all the cars because they're connected with a coupling, don't you be coupled with something that leads you outside of God's divine will and plan for your life. So that was some of the major phrases and words that were in that passage of scripture and as we proceeded last week uh, one of the things I shared uh, initially is that sometimes we venture into opportunities that appear to be good that appear to be blessings maybe the greatest opportunities are our lives but they're actually snares <laughs> and just like that bird it found the entrance to that pipe very alluring very tempting it probably thought "Woo, new home safe from the elements i just get me some leaves and twigs and life is good only for it to fall down that pipe and the very place that it thought was a great opportunity uh became the place where it was easy to enter into and very hard to get out the devil and people that don't mean us well often afford us opportunities as well and you always notice that the entrance gate or the highway to go into uh, uh, opportunity that God doesn't want for you. It's like the Golden Gate Bridge. You get six lanes. Or I don't know if it has six lanes, but it's got a lot of lanes to enter. All of a sudden, there's one lane coming out. <laughs> and it's got construction or a bunch of cars in your path. Why is it so easy to go into things that are inappropriate for us, but then it's so hard to get out? That's exactly the lure of the trap. It always looks easy. It always looks pleasant. Amen. The word of God says that Moses had to decide whether to enjoy the pleasures and temptations of sin for a season in Egypt or to go out into the desert where he was actually more liberated and within the will of God. Sometimes it's better to be in the desert than to be in the palace in Egypt. Amen. Because sin will look good for a season, but the wages of sin is death. And the end result of anything outside the will of God is always a form of bondage, death, limiting and destroying yourself, your worth, your purpose, your ability to minister to others. The end result of bondage is always to destroy you. Amen. Then the other thing we looked at after 
looking at the entrance and how easy it is to get in and then how hard to get out is sometimes the place of rest is really your death trap. I looked in on that bird and he was unaware of me or she and just as a piece. Then I tried to grab it, fluttered away. Then it got on another side of the wood burner stove, went to the position of rest. I was like, that thing is quite comfortable just to sit in there surrounded by ashes. Amen. Now, we clean out the stove after we burn a fire, but, you know, quite frankly, no matter how good you clean it, even if you were to take a wet rab, there's always a residue of burnt wood and ashes within the stove. Amen? So even though he seemed to, or she seemed to be in a, a state of rest when I left it alone and before I observed it there and came in to try to free it, little did it know that the place where you're resting, there's no food, there's no liberty, there's nothing to drink. The very place you're at rest is going to be your coffin, if I don't free you from that. And we have to ask ourselves, too, sometimes in life, are we at places where we're at rest and God is saying, like, don't you know you got to get out of there before you die? You may not necessarily die in your body right now, but you might die in your spirit. You might die in your, your, your hopes and dreams. You might die emotionally. And just lay over. You see that a lot of times. People, they might be walking around. They might have a smile on their face as if everything is good. But inside, they're dead men's bones. They have no hope. No dreams of anything changing. Day after day after day, just going to be another 24 hours of misery. That's death. Amen. If nothing's ever going to change, nothing's ever going to get better, uh, what does life mean? Amen. So this is a form of death. So God would prefer us to move, even if it's uncomfortable, than to stay in a place that appears to be restful, but nothing good or fruitful is ever going to come out of it. That place of rest can literally be your death trap. Amen. And then the last thing we covered last week, before I opened up the top of the stove and looked in, and even after I initially opened it and cracked it, I'm looking down on the bird. And he was totally unaware that I was overlooking his situation. Totally unaware that I said, you're in danger and you need to be saved. How many times are we similarly in situations where we think we're quite comfortable right here in the status quo? Quite comfortable in our death trap and God's looking down. It's like, I got to save you from yourself. You're never going to move. You're never going to move. You're dying here. Can't you see this? I'm going to have to reach down and move you out of your death trap or you'll never get to the place that I envision for you. Amen. <laughs> Thank God that he's a loving God that watches over us even when we're totally unaware and clueless that he's looking down upon us. The, the reality is that bird, it had no idea whatsoever that another being was looking down upon it. In its universe, its world, I'm at rest, I'm at peace Things are cool. I don't have any hawks or anything trying to kill me. The elements aren't beating down on me. I'm quite comfortable. He didn't realize that the entire being the whole time is looking down and observing. And don't we do the same thing sometimes? Where's God at? He's there. Looking down at you the whole time. Are you going to move? Or are you going to sit there forever? Do you realize you're surrounded by the ashes of defeat, discouragement, hurt, 
disillusionment, destroyed dreams. Do you, do you see I'm, I'm looking down upon your situation? And I've given you the tools, the weapons of warfare, the principles of God, my spirit, to leave that area that you're stuck in right now. But are you, are you using those tools and are you where I'm looking down upon your circumstances? Matter of fact, there's times where you're discouraged and you're saying, I am dying here. I'm aware of it. Do you realize that I'm looking down on you with care and concern for you, especially in those times where you think everything's okay and I can see that you're going to be at the end of your life if you don't move? Are you aware that somebody caring is looking down upon you? Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're going to continue now. <laughs> The bird's in there, like I said, he's in a state of rest, unaware I'm looking down on him. There's a whole cycle of things going on that he's not even aware of. And as I looked down on him, I saw he was in his death trap. I was like, I got to get him out of there. So I went down and tried to reach and grab him. And the first time I touched him, but I couldn't get a grip because he fled. Then I tried again, and he fled again. And then it got to the situation where I was like, man, he's fluttering and dodging and hitting the side of the inside of the wood burning stove so much. I was like, I'm a little concerned that while he's fleeing, my intervention to save his life, that he's absolutely going to harm himself because he, he, he can't discern the salvation that's coming in my reach and in my hand. Amen. We have to ask ourselves the same way. Are there situations where God's trying to reach in and save you? And you're dodging. God's trying to get a hold of you. You don't need to be here anymore. I need to move you. God's trying to grab you. Running over to those people. God tries to grab you. Run over to that next million dollars. God's trying to grab you. Well, if I network with these people here and there. Everything will be okay. God's trying to get a hold on you. And the very thing God's trying to do, you're ducking and dodging and fleeing for your life when it's actually the, the, the hand of salvation and preservation that's coming your way. Are you ducking and dodging and fleeing from the intervention of God? Amen? Or will you let him get a hold of you? <laughs> Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10 says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Look at the love and oversight of God. There's nowhere you can go where the presence of God, the love of God, and his desire to intervene in your life to save you, to relocate you, to reposition you. There's nowhere that's outside of God's grasp. The problem is, though, sometimes that we're doing exactly that. Whither should I flee from thy presence, Lord? God's trying to get a hold of us, and we're fleeing. I just want to relocate you <laughs> out of your mess out of your death trap, out of your place of discouragement and defeat, out of your place where you're broken down, beaten up, and de devastated and destroyed emotionally. I'm just trying to relocate you, and here we go. Where can I find a place where God can't mess up with my game plan? <laughs> just a ducking and dodging. Okay, well, 
he's in heaven. He'll never look for me there, so I'm going to go to heaven. <laughs> you ever do that in high? We were kids playing hide and seek. You look in the very place that you knew that it would be the most obvious place. You would hide there because they'll never look here. It's too obvious. So it became one of the greatest hiding places. Oh, they'll never look here. Well, he's counting. He's got his eyes closed. He's counting to 100. I'm going to hide right there. <laughs> right adjacent to him. So as soon as he opens his eyes to look for me, <laughs> you just left me. All he had to do was tap me, <laughs> and I was it. So I'm going to go flee somewhere where God will never look. I'll go flee to heaven. He'll never look for me here. <laughs> he thinks I'm running far away from heavenly things. So I try to hide from God in the place of, of his actual abode. And God said, nope, I know you're there. Then he said, okay, well, God's trying to intervene still. I'm going to go to the club. I'm going to go to here and go to there and all these different places where well, the presence of God will never intrude into this this place of, uh, of, of, of sin and, and, and garbage and filth and corruption. God will never come here. So God's like, nope, I'm here too. <laughs> I actually, went, I actually experienced it myself before I even got saved. Amen? Even, before I was uns, even when I was unsaved, I had a, a heart for God. I would never use his name in vain. I used to actually tell people, I used to be uh, a cursing champion, but you wouldn't use God's name in vain around me. I was like, uh-uh. Uh-uh. You, uh-uh. You don't know. You don't never say that. Uh-uh. So I remember one day back in my clubbing days, and I'm, I'm drinking and, and, and partying and having fun, and we go to this new club, which right off the bat, I didn't like Philadelphia clubs and Philadelphia, like, top 40 music clubs. I used to go to New York, North Jersey, house music, garage music, you know. Um, so anyway, we're with this club, and I didn't want to go, but it was a new place, and my friends wanted to go, so I was like, all right, dang, Philly club. So we're there, and they asked me, do you like it? I said, eh, I don't like it. I don't think I'm going to come here anymore. Hour or so later, you like it now? I don't like it. It's, it's just not for me. And I just remember at one point, they were like, last call for alcohol around 2 o'clock in the morning. Went to the bar. I'm sitting there leaning at the bar with my friend. And, you know, we're just talking. He said, uh, so what do you think? I said, man, I don't like it here. I'm not coming back here anymore. He said, well, what is it? He said, the, the, the women ain't racking, acting right. They ain't looking good. So ain't that. I just don't like this place. Something about it. I can't put my finger on it. I don't like this place. I'm not coming back again. And we're going back and forth, going back and forth. He's trying to reason with me. Like, well, what about this? What about that? I'm like, no, I don't like this place. I don't know why I don't like this place. All of a sudden, I look up. I see stained glass. I said, see, I knew it. This used to be a church. I'm out of here. See, the presence of God, even in my sin, even in my partying, he could still find me in certain places. Even when I wasn't looking for him. I saw that stained glass. I couldn't get out of that place quick enough. And I was like, I was in here partying, drinking. This was a church. You don't do that in God's church. And I was a heathen. I was like, no, you don't party in God's house. Like, well, it used to be a church. It's a club. And I said, no, once a church, always a church. I'm out. And I was a heathen, unsaved, unchurched. I was like, nope, once a church, always a church. I don't party in God's house. And to this day, I have never partied in God's house. Well, that one time. But that was before I had the realization. As soon as I had the realization, this used to be a church. I'm like, I am out. I was like, I got to walk from Philly. Y'all ain't got to leave. I can't make you leave. I ain't drive tonight. But I tell you one thing, I'm outside and down the street. I guess I was scared of <laughs> fire and brimstone come down, burn the bill. But I, I am out, and I am out now. 
I'm not going to negotiate. I'm not going to talk. Ain't going to be fine. Give me another half hour. Give me, no, I'm out now. And I went right out that door. Amen. <laughs> See, you try to make your bed in hell, and no, that wasn't necessary hell. It was a place of partying, but stuff could lead to hell. But the fact is, you know, even partying, repositioning, trying to be somewhere outside the will of God, no matter where you go, where can you leave a person who he created a universe and he's outside that universe seeing everything at once? Where can you go that you're going to hide from the presence of God? Amen. Where can you go? And like I said, just like that bird, I'm sitting here trying to save him from himself or her, like I said. Just say, we'll keep it a he. I'm reaching down, ducking and dodging, hits the side, fluttering wings. Reach again. Oh, almost had him. Fluttering, dodging, ducking. Couple of loose feathers here and there. How many times has God tried to grab you and you lost a couple feathers? Are you still fighting, trying to keep God from getting a hold of you? And the very time he's saying, I'm doing what is necessary to intervene for your own good. Why are we ducking and dodging? And sometimes this is outside of salvation. Sometimes this is within salvation. You should know better. You should know my principles. You should be walking in the liberty I have for you. You should be proclaiming my word and thinking according to my perceptions. And you should be using the tools and the weapons of warfare I gave you. And yet you're stuck here in this death trap. I'm trying to intervene. And even that's not good enough for you because you're ducking and dodging my attempts to guide you as we see here with my right hand. Look what it says there. Even there shall thy hand lead me. That's not me leading myself. It says, thy hand, the hand of God will lead me. And then thy right hand shall hold me if necessary. And here we are ducking and dodging. You see, the problem is, with the hand of God getting a hold of you, sometimes you got to let some stuff go. God will grab you. He ain't going to necessarily take your baggage. Because we like our baggage, and we like our strongholds, and we like our, our sins because there's pleasure in sin for a season. It's not so much that we're ducking the hand of God as that I don't want to lose all this stuff I'm having fun with. So, God, if you grab me, you can grab me and move me astray. All my stuff is going to remain back there. And I'm not ready to let it go yet. But with that stuff remains the bondage to the death trap. Sometimes we've got to make choices. Am I going to let God get a hold of me and move me even if I don't understand? And even if I don't like the fact that he's taking me to a place where my baggage and all the things holding me here, my death trap, have to remain. Am I willing to relinquish my affection, my emotional attachment to those things that keep me captive to allow God to grab me and lead me to somewhere else? Takes a level of trust. Amen. Knowing that God knows what's best for us, being willing to trust him, as we see here, even letting his hand lead me. That means your ownership of your life gets relinquished. And that's one of the greatest things that we have a problem with. I'm okay with you, God, as long as i am got my hands on the steering wheel. I'm okay with you governing and guiding my life and your right hand of blessing being upon me. But what? You going to tell me what road to turn down? I didn't sign on for that guy. <laughs> That's the part we don't want to deal with. But like I said, sometimes you remain in your place of discouragement, in your death trap, if you don't allow God 
to take hold of the wheel. Amen? Amen. You can't see the potholes. You can't see the black ice on the road that's about to make you 360 and crash. You can't see all this stuff. Amen? So sometimes you just got to trust God. Like, well, I might not like the final destination or rest stop, but you know what? How many car crashes have I been in with my life before? How many disasters have I encountered when I was a hold of where this vessel was going? How many times have I crashed and burned? Blessed to rise from the ashes, and here I am still trying to navigate. Amen? Sometimes we've got to let go. Isaiah 43, 12 through 19 says, I have declared and have saved and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. I am the, the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tow. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now shall it spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So God says here that before there was a day to account, he was present. Before time began, he was present. And he says here that he sends out for his people and anybody that's in the way of them being liberated, he brings those things, their weapons, their power, their authority, their manipulation and control to naught. And then he says, I transplant my people to a place of safety, a safe haven. He says it doesn't matter. If there's a sea there, I'll, if, if there's a, a sea with troubling, you know, waters, you know, I'll make a way in the sea. I'll give you the capability to navigate and traverse from point A to point B through the seas. I will make that happen. And he says, if the enemy sends his chariot and horses after you, his boats, whatever it is, it says not only will he deal with them, but he says he will deal with them all together. See, we don't have to worry about navigating and moving in God. Oh, well, I got all these enemies behind me, and I got all these enemies before, before me. God said, I'll deal with all of them in one shot. Amen. I ain't intimidated about them. I ain't the least bit concerned about them. He said, I will deal with all of them, and I will, uh, he says, I will bring them down simultaneously. And then he says, they shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tow. And I asked the Lord before, I was like, well, if something's extinct, that means it's dead. So why you got to quench his toe? Isn't it dead? But God's like, not only will I destroy your enemies, he says, but when I quench his toe, he says, I will drown them. <laughs> I'll render them extinct, then I'll drown them, and then it says quench his toe, I'll lay a weight on them, an anchor that pulls them down further to make sure that they don't rise again. See, God will deal with your stuff to the nth degree. It'd be so, God will deal with your enemies so bad, it'd be like, man, you almost like, Lord, Lord Jesus, have a little mercy on them. <laughs> That's how bad he will devastate them when they come against you. Amen? You don't want God angry. 
<laughs> I shared, I think it was a few months ago, I shared um, this, this um, documentary I saw where, you know, they always try to portray the, the lion as lazy and all the lionesses do the work. And the lion's sitting there, hot sun in the desert, Africa. The lionesses are playing with their cubs and they're going out and they're hunting. And the lion's just, <laughs> just chilling. And the, 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 the cubs come up, they start playing with him a little bit. He plays a little bit, smacks him around a little bit, then, you know, gently. Then he goes back to sleep. And he's, oh, he's just so lazy. He's doing nothing. He can say, the credit is being the king of the jungle. And all he's doing is sleeping all day. It looks like the lionesses are doing all the work. And all of a sudden, this danger presented itself. This lion gets up, it kills everything in sight. I mean, he, I'm talking about not only roaring to the point where you can hear him miles away, but he gets up and he chases the enemy, kills them. And I'm not talking about they just standing there waiting for the kill. They are going, they're separating, scattering different dresses. He runs and kills them all. Then he comes back, lays down, goes back to sleep. <laughs> That's how God is sometimes. He's like, well, where's God? Where's God? He's like, well, first of all, one reason I'm not getting up yet is I'm letting y'all learn warfare. Let you learn how to discern the enemy in your midst. <laughs> Let you learn how to hone and refine your capability to fight. But if I need to step in, God help. Oh, me help? Because <laughs> when I step in, I decimate kingdoms. Amen. <laughs> it's actually an act of mercy that I'm so patient. I'm giving them a chance to repent and relent and back off. Amen? But if I step in, so he renders our enemies extinct. says they quench his toe. Not only does he kill them or destroy their effect, he also drowns them, and then he puts an anchor on top of that to make sure they can never rise again. Amen? There is no walking dead when it comes to God's enemies. No, he renders them distinct. It's like the dinosaurs. Done. All you can find is the fossils. There's nothing remaining when God has to step in. Amen? But here's what we see also, though, says, remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. See, when God comes in to intervene, we got to stop putting God in a box in our minds and saying this is the only way that God intervenes, the only way he sets free, delivers, and saves. God says, no, don't think about me according to the old ways and think that every time I intervene, it's going to be the same. Forget the former things and consider the new. Will I not do a new thing? Will you, in other words, recognize my move in your life? The way I'm intervening this time of season? The way that I've packaged it in a different manner than you may have seen before? You know, I tried to intervene with that bird that kept dodging my hand. It couldn't recognize. It saw the intervention that was intended to save its life as something that was coming to kill it. Amen? Do we do the same thing? Sometimes God's trying to reach in. Maybe God's reaching and intervening in your life in a way that you're not accustomed to. And you're falsely discerning the move of God as being an attack of the enemy. God's like, no, it ain't the enemy. I'm just trying to get a hold on you and save you from yourself. But are you in a place spiritually that you can discern that I'm moving and interacting in your life in a fashion that's different than you've ever seen before. Amen? Are you in a place that you can discern it? Sometimes I'm going to do a new thing. But the great thing is that no matter what's coming your way, if it's a sea, I'll give you the means of passing through it. If it's a wilderness, I'll make a path 
that'll get you through it. If it's a desert, I'll put rivers there. Don't worry about how you got to get to the other side. I'll make it come into fruition. You just walk in obedience and be ready to move and be able to discern my move when it's on the horizon in your life. Amen? <laughs> Funny thing is when I went to save the bird, I actually had to block off some of the exit paths. Part of the exit path was coming up through the thing, but I didn't want him to get released into the house, nor did I want him to hit some of the metal that was at the upper part of the stove. So I actually had to cushion things and cover certain things. And basically, the, the same way I said it's, it's easy to get in and hard to get out, even the part where it's for, for him to get out, I narrowed it down so that his exit could only come through me. Amen? <laughs> Sometimes we're fighting and bumping up against walls and trying to make our own means of escape instead of looking for God's path to that. And fortunately, you know, sometimes he'll cushion the blow and we hit up our heads against the wall. But once again, are we trying to make our own exit path outside of the intervention of God? So like I said, in order to catch the bird, I had to cushion various parts of the exit path so there was really only way he could go, and that was into my hand. Amen. And he kept ducking and dodging. But finally, I was able to grab him and pull him up out of the stove. But here's the next point, though. Sometimes the Lord snatching you up startles you, even though it's necessary. Amen. Sometimes the Lord snatching you up and out of a situation startles you, but it's necessary. When I grabbed that bird, it let out this big screech. As far as this, see, it, it, it couldn't distinguish the difference between a hand of salvation and the claws of death. So when I grabbed it, it let out this big screeching noise. Because I guess it thought, like, the party's over. I'm done. And I grabbed onto it, and then I basically immobilize it so it couldn't move and even in the grip of my hand wouldn't move it wouldn't move in such a way that it would hurt its wings but it was it literally i basically froze it so it couldn't move at all amen because if not it literally probably would have been flapping and doing something it would have maybe broke a wing and that and then the party would have been over so i grabbed it like i said it let out a screech this loud noise as i was about to move it from the original death trap over to the place of safety outside. And the, the passage came to mind was Psalm 41 through 3 to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. <laughs> we see here sometimes that even in the times that we know we're struggling and we're in the miry clay. You know, sometimes we're sitting there quietly resting in our death trap and don't realize that this. Other times we know full well we're trapped. Might be embarrassed, don't even want to cry out. But the good thing about God is that we cry out, or even if we don't cry out, it sees, we see here that he's always attuned to us and looking to pull us out of the miry clay that we're stuck in, in the areas that we're, we're, we're surrounded by. And we see here he doesn't just move us from here to there, 
blindly and arbitrarily. Instead, it says that he sets me in a place that is stable. He sets my feet upon a rock, and he establishes my goings. In other words, he repositions me, and then he also lays the foundation for the next part of my journey. Isn't that a good thing to know? Sometimes we move from one place to the next, and we're like, is this going to be any better? Is it going to be more chaos? This is so great when God intervenes. He said, I'm taking you out of this mess. I'm putting you here. And now you've got a, a good, clean slate, a solid foundation upon which to continue to grow and build and live for me. That's such a blessed thing. And it's, here's the thing. Being repositioned should not make you miserable. As we see here, uh, you should be praising the Lord. It should be a testimony of other people. You should put a new song in your mouth, praising unto the Lord. And people witnessing it, it should give them reverence for the Lord as well. We shouldn't be getting moved by God from one situation to the next. And we're sitting there moaning and groaning and murmuring and complaining. And everybody's like, whoa, I thought God was supposed to be good. Look, what, look how they're acting. Amen. So you may not necessarily understand why God has to grab you when he does. You may not understand the intensity of what occurred. When I grabbed that bird, like I said, he thought it was a cause of death, snatch it down on him. What he thought was an attack to kill him, the grip was not meant to, to, to injure. It was meant to grab and immobilize him so he couldn't hurt himself. See how sometimes we perceive things? You grab me up because you don't mean me well. You're attacking me. No, I'm stabilizing you. <laughs> I'm protecting you from the true source of your danger, yourself and your decisions, and the place you've allowed yourself to remain. I'm grabbing you to move you out of the places that you put yourself in. So as I said, and here's the next point, God will hold you strong enough to preserve you, but not break you. God will hold you strong enough to preserve you, but not to break you. Like I said, I grabbed the bird, and I grabbed the bird out of the stove before, and it was like, it was a, it was a better position. I grabbed him in such a way that his head was sticking out <laughs> between my thumb and my forefinger, so I was able to, like, kind of stroke his head and, and calm him down. With this bird, when I grabbed him, I had a good, solid grip so he couldn't move. Part of his wing was sticking out, so I was like, okay. I got to make sure I stabilize him because he could break his wing. So I gripped him strong enough, but not enough to squeeze him and, and maybe, maybe do harm. But he lost a couple feathers. His wing was sticking out. So I was like, okay, I got him nice and snug, but I'm not going to let him move because he could hurt himself before I get him outside. So strong enough to preserve, but not enough to break. I know there's been times in my life that God has definitely done that. He got a grip on me. He got a hold on me. Amen. He immobilized me so that I had to stay within his grip and where he was taking me. And it was enough to be secure, amen, as he moved me, but not enough that I could try to wiggle out and maybe fall into a situation or a place that I wasn't meant to be or move myself in such a way that I wound myself as I'm trying to escape his grip. God gripped me, and he moved me. Amen. <laughs> Psalm 34, 19 and 20. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> like I said, 
Burnell allowed streets when I grabbed him. But in order to ensure that he didn't get free, first of all, in the house or back in the store where he injured himself, or in the house where it would be a nightmare getting him back out to his safety, I mobilized him in such a way where I firmly gripped him where he couldn't move, but I didn't squeeze him enough that it would do, like, internal damage. Bird himself didn't know whether he was about to be rendered dead or to be liberated in the next minute. All the bird knew is, I can't budge. <laughs> Has God ever pinned you to one spot for your own good where you couldn't budge? <laughs> and you might have tried to wiggle out. God's like, uh, you ain't wiggling nowhere. Not this time. There's no wiggle room for you. There's no escape except to the place where I'm taking you. And, and I'm not going to allow you to budge one more inch until I've repositioned you to the place that I'm taking you to, which is one of safety. And we may not necessarily understand it, but it's the best place for us when God repositioned us. Isaiah 57, 15 through 18 says, For thus saith the, the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I be always wroth. For the spirit should fail before me and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth and smote him. I hid me and was wroth, and he went on forwardly in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will lead him also and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. Look at that. You know, he's the high and holy one that inhabiteth eternity. We think we got everything figured out. God's like, <laughs> yesterday, I was there. Future, yeah, I, I was already there. <laughs> and today, I'm here as well. Now, who are you and your finite state of existence to believe that you have everything figured out? And you know the, the best place for you to live, how to abide, the mindset and perceptions, the goals, the purposes, and plans that you need to pursue. And he said, I'm the one that inhabited eternity. Amen. I know all these things. And I've seen the end from the beginning. Matter of fact, I declared the end from the beginning. Amen. So who are you to tell me where you should be and how things should be transpiring in your life as opposed to just coming on board? But the great thing about it is that God has, knows all things. He's present everywhere, and he has more power than anything in the universe, amen, because he created it. He says, despite the fact that I inhabit it in eternity, he said, I also dwell with those of a contrite and humble spirit. Man, so guess what? We could be on, uh, in tandem moving in our lives with the one who inhabiteth in eternity. And quite frankly, if he inhabits eternity and we're with him, aren't we, in an indirect sense, even though we can't grasp it now, aren't we also dwelling in eternity? Amen? And if that's the case, you're dwelling in eternity, why are we so obsessed with temporal, timely things, material wealth and goals and things like that that are going on right now? Shouldn't we also have an eternal mindset, in other words? Like, okay, well, 
I don't want to be moved from this position. I like it here. Well, that might seem to be good to your natural mortal mind, but if you put on the perceptions of eternity, oh, God, oh, I do see that's my death trap. Instead of me ducking and dodging trying to get out of here, can you pick me up <laughs> and move me quicker? <laughs> we had a mindset of God. We wouldn't be ducking and dodging and trying to avoid God's intervention. Instead, when God's hand come, we'd be like, I was waiting you all along. <laughs> so I don't dread the intervention of God. And matter of fact, God doesn't have to grip me hard and immobilize me because instead of me trying to fight his grip where he has to grab me in a safe manner so my struggles don't hurt me, instead when God reached in, we just let him grab us and move us. Amen? See, he only has to immobilize us if we're fighting him and resisting him. But if we just yield to the spirit of God, he would just move us from place to place to place without having to grip us so tightly. <laughs> so we see here that that's how we can do it, by being of a contrite and a humble spirit. Amen? Letting life circumstances, the ups and downs, the good and bad, letting all those things mold us and make us wiser, quite frankly. When I was a child, I, the Word of God says, I thought as a child. When I became a man or woman, I put off childish things and I start to think according to adult, mature things. And quite frankly, not just adult, humanistic things, but adult, mature things from the perspective of God. Seeing beyond the limitations of the, the here and the now and what's going on today. Starting to see things from the perspective of eternity and where God is taking me and what God is doing in this world and the legacy that he wants me to leave, you know, once this body fails us, amen, having that mindset. If we do that, we don't resent the hand of God intervening. We don't resent the fact that God might grab us and reposition us at a time we may not necessarily expect. And instead, we just go with the flow. We don't resist him in terms of what he's doing. Now, um, the last point the Lord gave me is that God will release you to a true position and place of safety. Once again, early on, when I first observed the bird, he thought he was in a place of safety, but it was his death trap. So that shows you the, the world system would present things to you that seem to be pleasant, very habitable, and places where, hey, I can just enjoy my life here. <laughs> the world will give you the, such illusions. Oh, this is wonderful. Enter in and enjoy the pleasures of what we have to provide. Then you get in there and, oh, my God, what did I do myself this time? And how quick can I get out? And, yes, God can let us out quickly, but sometimes God will let us stay in there so we'll learn a lesson and learn to appreciate the places that he repositions us to. Amen. But overall, we have to have the mindset that God, when he moves us, he never moves us from a place of uh, a, a certain level of, of danger and destruction to a more, even more dangerous place. No, God is going to intervene and move and grab you and reposition you. He's moving you to a place that, even though the other one presented the guise of safety and, and rest, he'll send us to a place or reposition us to a place that is genuinely associated with peace and rest amen because at the end of the day that's what he wants for each one of us 
1 Samuel 2, 6 through 10 says, The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. Man, look at that. <laughs> God, at the end of the day, God's going to do whatever he wants to do. If you're alive, he can make you dead. <laughs> if you're dead, he can resurrect you and bring you to life. <laughs> Amen. If you're rich and prideful, he can make you poor. And if you're poor and humble and contrite in spirit, he can elevate you up and, and make you rich. Amen. God could do whatever he desires to do. You may think you're in a place of dust, as we see here. But he can lift you up out of that dust and from the dunghill and elevate you to a place like you're royalty i mean he's done that in our lives so many times amen just by accepting jesus as lord and savior you've gone from maybe being impoverished literally in the natural or at least spiritually impoverished to a place where now you're a royal priesthood and a, a chosen generation of god it says he will keep the, the feet of his saints amen and it says that he sets us among princes and makes us inherit the throne of glory. The pillars of the earth themselves are his, and he has set the world upon them. So God can elevate each one of us. When he re repositioned us, he doesn't reposition us so that we could be the world's welcome mats or doormats. Or you just get punched around like a, a punching bag. God repositions us. Because he's taking us to the next phase of our life. Or he's re repositioned us out of somewhere we shouldn't have been. And positioned us to a place where if we're not in a, in a, in a, a wholeness mindset, he can heal us, deliver us, set us free. Take off the shackles. Get us out of the, the, the walls of imprisonment we've been boxed in. And get us to a place of wholeness. And then once we get to a place of mental, emotional, and, and spiritual stability and freedom, then God can also take us to the place where we start to have impact on the lives of other people. So when God repositions us, it's really only for the good, not only for us, but then eventually for others who we can basically spread that blessing too, amen, as we mature and are able to impart into their lives the things that God has taught us, amen. So God will release us once again to a position. No matter how low we may have been, he can elevate us to um, a princely level and to a place where we, regardless of our natural wealth, are walking in freedom and in the riches that God has given us in terms of our gifts, our mentality, Amen. Our influence, as we see here with the anointing of God being brought upon us. Uh, the final verse I want to share today is Job chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground. 
Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number, who giveth rain upon the earth and sendeth water upon the fields, to set up on high those that be low, that those which mourn may be exalted to safety. So we see here, um, as I said, that, that, that bird was surrounded by ashes and dust. And even though he didn't know it, he was really in a place where, if he, even if he didn't discern it immediately, he was in a place of affliction and eventually death. Matter of fact, it was even more troubling because it would be a slow, lingering death without intervention. Amen? Being malnourished, nothing to drink, breathing probably been more difficult, and there was literally no means of escape to get out of there. Um, and there's been times where we've been in similar circumstances where it seems like affliction has come our way and there's no way out. Yet, as we see here, if we seek unto God, God can do things that are unsearchable, unfathomable, mar marvelous things that we cannot even number or quantify beyond our expectation. You know, the Word of God talks about how un unsearchable are the riches of God and His ways beyond finding out. You can't figure out God, amen? How can you figure out somebody who is beyond our comprehension, amen? I shared it before. If you took all the words and the, all the, 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 the positive um, adjectives in the entire, not only English language, but every language on the earth, if you took them all and recited them all simultaneously and attributed them to God, you still would not describe who he is. Amen. He's indescribable. That's why he's a rock. He's a fortress. He's a tower. <laughs> he's a banner of strength. You know, he's a fire. He's a lamb. He's he's a bomb of Gilead. I mean, all these different the rose of Sharon, the lion of Judah, all these different attributes to describe our glorious God. And you say, well, which one is equivalent? None of them are. They're all aspects of who he is. He's indescribable. All we could try to do is think of new terms to describe our God. But even if you were to take each one of those things and group them all together, they still pale in comparison to who he is. And it's so wonderful to know that even though we may be trapped in places or maybe in a situation where we're trapped and don't even realize it, that this same loving God that's beyond description, beyond human language, beyond utterances in our heavenly language and, and tongues. He's beyond all those things, and yet he still loves us enough to watch over us and especially to liberate us if we've allowed some type of bondage or stronghold to take hold of our lives. So he definitely deserves the honor and glory for all these things. But one of the things he really wants us to do, as we've seen in our text scripture, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ, ha Christ has made us free. Christ made us free. Are we walking in it? And are we being assertive about it? You know, I shared it before, I think I said on Wednesday, somebody cut you off on the road. Oh, oh, you, you manning up. Somebody cut you off on the road. Somebody butts in front of you in line. Somebody looks at you, looks at you the wrong way. <laughs> somebody steps on your foot. Oh, we're so assertive and and aggressive and uh, somebody look at you nobody look at me like that somebody says wrong nobody talks to me like that oh you fight then but then the devil puts you in bondage or the limitations of your mind 
keep you trapped in a cage and you just a passive little lamb. Oh, I don't want to fight. Oh, you just the frailest thing on earth. You got to fight. This is where you're fighting for your life. Amen. I shared before, we all live in our own pocket universes or worlds. We all live in it. You, do you realize we're in the same building right now? Kelly's universe is different than mine. It was just different than yours and yours and yours and yours. Because we all perceive things differently. And we could both hear the same thing, but yet we could choose whether to glean something good and powerful, uplifting and motivating that gets you fired up to take on the world. And somebody else be like, oh, I just feel so horrible. Why do you think Jesus said to sow or sow the word? And then he talks about, in some cases, it fell on good ground, stony ground. Some people got it at first, but the, the issues of this world dried it up or stole it away. Notice what Jesus said there. He didn't say the, the sower gave the good word to Trey, and Trey received it and walked out with power. And he went to Kelly, and, well, he ain't going to listen anyway, so I'll just give him watered-down word. And you know what? Tony got on my nerves last week, so I'm going to give her a little bit of good stuff, but not my best. You know, it doesn't say that. It says the source gave the word. So it's up to each person getting that seed to decide what you're going to do with it. Amen? So you got a choice. If the same word, the same power, the same gift of God, the same Holy Spirit is in each, side, each one of us, and that same word has been planted in us to equip us, why does one person walk in liberty while the other one walks in bondage? And believe me, there's a lot of saints out there today that just walk, uh, live a life of bondage. That's why I tell people, I said, you know, we, we're surrounded by the, the walking dead all the time. You don't need a TV show. We need a TV show for. Oh, a bunch of zombies biting people and blood. No, the real zombies, you, we walk around zombies every day. Saved and unsaved. And the thing is, the ones that are saved, that's... I, it's actually better for the ones that are unsaved to walk, be the walking dead. Because at least they don't have the insight from God to walk in liberty, peace, and power. When you see a saint of God walking around, oh, never, nothing ever happens good for me. Oh, I'm just such a loser. Oh, oh I feel sick. I want this cancer. You got the word of God and you walk around like that? That's more tragic than the person's unsaved. Because it might be better, it might be easier to turn around the life of that unsaved person to plant a seed in them. They might be like, what? I ain't got to be strung out on drugs anymore? And I can walk free of drugs? Praise God! And they might walk in it. Whereas the other person can hear the same type of word. 10, 20, 30 years. Oh, walk around pitiful. It's up to you what you do with the seed that God plants in you. First of all, the seed of information. And then it's using and applying that seed and let it grow in you and let it purge out those things that are toxic in your mind. You have to do that. Amen. Each one of us has a responsibility. And that's why God is telling us here, the text scripture was stand fast, therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. But it's really a personal t statement to each person. You stand fast, therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. You stand for fast. Amen. Because guess, guess what? I might not be all the way there, but to the best of my ability, I'm going to fight to walk in it. Discouragement try to come my way. Oh, heck no. I'm not walking beat up and discouraged. 
And that's why I tell people all the time, it's up to you to choose whether or not the same issue affecting you cripples you or you say, all right, there's another opportunity there. Or, oh, you turned me down and motivated me, I'm going to do this or that. Michael Jordan got cut from the varsity basketball team. No, JV basketball team. And he could have walked and said, oh, I suck at basketball. I quit. I ain't playing this game anymore. I ain't never playing again. And his parents could be like, why aren't you shooting jump shots, Michael? Oh, I quit. I got cut from the team. I'm done. I hate that sport. I'm going to play baseball, football now. Or I'm going to quit sports in general. You know what he did with that door slammed in his face? He said, I'm going to go out there and shoot a 1,000 shots a day if I have to. Ain't nobody ever going to sh- shut me down and stop me from being a good player. Now a lot of people call him the GOAT, greatest of all time. But guess what? He became the GOAT after the door of being on a team got thrown in his face. Amen? And matter of fact, he said one time, they were like, oh, well, your greatness, like, you're never, what made your greatness? The ability to make all those game-winning shots when you played at the University of North Carolina and Chicago Bulls, stuff like that? He said, no. He said, people talk about the shots I, I, I made. He said, he, he forget, they forget the hundreds I missed. He said, the greatness was not in the shots I hit. It's in the fact that I missed the shot that lost that game. The next game, I was willing to take that same shot. That's the greatness. Going beyond your limitations and your failures and not quitting because you fell one time again. Amen? That's greatness. Amen? Every one of them. Serena Williams said one time, one of the greatest things that happened to her was getting humiliated in a term, in a term, in a, I think it was a Wimbledon or U.S. Open final. She got humiliated. I think, it was, I think she, she didn't say the person. I think she was talking about Maria Sharapova that beat her that one time. They had another time. They met again in the finals. At the end of that match, Serena whipped her so bad. Mar- Mar- Sh- uh, Sharapova was literally like stammering. She's just, just like. She destroyed me. She like beat her so bad. She like could barely talk. She's just like, she's amazing. I just, I couldn't do anything. That's after Serena got humiliated. I'm number one in the world. This person beat me. So sometimes you get to the top, you still get devastated in defeat, and you got to come roaring back. Amen? So it's what we do. you got to fight to stand, for, stand there for in the liberty that Christ made for you and set you free. And you can't let limitations and setbacks and failures, you know, define and limit you. I told people, like, you know, I go on an interview, I don't get the job. All right, just wasn't right. Next job. I worked at a job a year. They let me go. Okay, next company. I had a job, I had a job fired me one time. Had nothing to do with me. I got fired. They came in one day. They said, um, they said oh, you have to leave immediately. And they said, we'll boss up your stuff and send it to you. I said, oh, no, you ain't. They said, no, you, you got to leave. I said, I can leave. I said, but I'm going to my desk, grabbing my books and my stuff, and I'm leaving. I said, you ain't going to ship me uh, two boxes two weeks from now, and my CDs and my computer books that I paid good money for is somehow vanished from my desk. So I said, if you want to follow me, that's fine. But I am walking to my desk, which will not be my desk after today. I'm walking to my current desk, boxing my stuff up. You can watch me box it, and you can watch me walk out of the door with my stuff. And then I'll be the end of it. So they fired me. My work performance was good. It was basically a, a dispute between, uh, there's two consulting companies that were in there. 
I was with this company called Pinkerton. There was another one. That company had a dispute with the other c- consulting company, and they were going back and forth. It was getting to the point they are about to go to court. So finally, the company said, you know, we're not only firing all their developers, we're firing Pinkerton guys too. Kicked me out the door. Once the dispute was settled, they called me up and tried to hire me back. It wasn't personal. Why am I taking it personal? I didn't go back. <laughs> but the fact is, sometimes we make stuff personal that's not personal. Just move on to the next opportunity. And here's the thing. I got fired that day, and they had security there to try to escort me out of the building for no reason of my own. I went to Pastor Lester's church that night, and I preached a sermon, Seven Steps to Overcoming Setbacks. See, you, I could be like, oh, I got fired today. Who am I going to talk about overcoming tonight? No, I went in that church. I, I went in that church, shared that message, called a woman out, had just um, got free from a life of prostitution, called up another person that was dealing with cancer, called up a woman whose son was dealing with a bunch of set, setbacks at school under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I called all those people up and prayed for them on a day where I basically, according to the world, got my butt kicked. It's up to you whether you're going to stand fast in your liberty and walk in power and authority or you let little skirmishes and setbacks define you, limit you, and beat you up and cripple you. It's up to you. God says you got to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. Amen? And choose not to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So sometimes that same energy and determination we have to fight when somebody says the wrong thing with us, to us or cuts us off on the road or cuts in line. We need to save our outbursts and our attitudes that we direct to those people. Save it all up. And then when the devil messes with you or the influences of the world system come at you or even sometimes yourself trying to say something negative about you, that's when all that, that stuff you stored in the bag of frustration, you can let that out beating up the true foe that you need to be fighting. The devil and your, and your dysfunctional mentality regarding yourself. That's the one you can fight. Amen? And don't take no prisoners. I am the cream of the crop. I am a child of the king. <laughs> I am, you know, glorious and wonderful. Not pride, but I'm, I'm all these things. Of God. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm not a doormat. You know, I'm not stupid because God says I have the mind of Christ. So I'm not stupid. My father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Amen. And may I, may I prosper and be in good health, even as my soul prospers. My soul is prospering, so therefore I will prosper materially. Amen? Don't be sitting there letting the world define you and limit you and hinder you. Sometimes you've got to speak that stuff over yourself. Speak those things that be not as they were. I'm rich. I got 250 in the bank. Well, I'm rich. Speak those things that be not as they are. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. <laughs> Now go out and put, don't put a loan on a Maserati. <laughs> you, you, some stuff you got to get into a little bit of the manifestation now. But by faith of your attitude, I am rich. God's going to prosper me. Amen. You still got to work it out gradually sometimes. <laughs> like, well, Pastor Brian told me that uh, I'm rich, so I signed down for a $500,000 house and, a two, and, a, and I bought a Bugatti yesterday. Next <laughs> <Unless> you know. <laughs> so, say, oh, you had a little bit too much faith. <laughs> oh, you need to settle your faith down. <laughs> you got some people go a little bit too overboard. <laughs> yeah, wisdom with the empowerment of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. So uh, let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Stand fast 
and your liberty. Amen. So that was it for this series. It was a two-weeker. Um, the Lord actually showed me what's coming up next, though. So I um, think that will be a blessing to us all. And I'll wait till next week to share it. So anyway, be here next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Amen. Or actually, Eagle Channel. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Alrighty. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you the glory, honor, and praise for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you, Father, that if we have not walked in the liberty wherewith you have made us free, Lord Jesus, we ask you right now, Father, to show us the areas in which we've accepted being ensnared, trapped, limited, belittled, uh, lower than expected. And we just thank you, Father, that if there's any area where we have um, allowed ourselves to walk in it through a lack of effort, right now we repent of it, Lord. And as we change our mindset, Father, to walk in power and authority and liberty, we praise you that as the enemy would try to entangle or attach hindrance to us, Father, you will show us immediately, Father, how to cast down those imaginations. And Lord, um, let us just fight and engage the enemy, and do whatever is necessary to walk in the liberty that you've given us. Let us use the tools, um, the word of God, the weapons of our warfare, um, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Father, to enable us to walk in liberty. And we praise you, Father, that not only will we walk in liberty and see um, more fruitful things than ever before, but also, Father, as we encounter um, others at, jo at our jobs, in our family, um, in our neighborhoods, Father, as we, as we run into people that are struggling emotionally or, or physically, Father, or spiritually, give us the words to speak into their hearts, into their minds, that they will also be liberated. And we give you the praise, the honor, and glory for this, Father, that your hand will be upon us. And we know, Father, that with your hand upon us, nobody can take us out of your hand, and nobody can truly attack us and destroy us, Father, um, based upon your divine intervention. We thank you, Father, for your hand of healing, of power, authority, and influence. We thank you, Father, for those things that the enemy even tried to send our way that you blocked off. And we just give you the praise, honor, and glory, not only for this, but giving us a fruitful and safe week ahead. We just give you the praise, the honor, and glory for these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.